welcome back to the Global Gamers Podcast. We yeah. are back for another review episode, and yep. we're going to take a little break from delving and, you know, dragons and fantasy to go to our other favorite theme, which is the natural world. Surprise, surprise. It's been a while. You and know, we made that joke a couple episodes ago about um having to pace out the nature theme games, but it seems like yeah. it just kind of naturally uh, went on hiatus for the past month or so. Yeah, it did a little bit. Well, the other thing about this game we're reviewing today is it's a nice little oasis away from some of the like very competitive, highly interactive games that we've been reviewing lately, including. Yeah, so I think it balances out well with what yeah. we did last week. Yeah, well, and even going back to some of the recent nature ones we've done, like Oceans, this is like yep. the anti-Oceans Zen game. That's true. And not to spoil anything, but I think uh, it's very much this game's benefit. Yeah. And our thoughts on it. Um, cool. So let's give a little overview of Cascadia. So Cascadia is a one to four player game came out in 2021, designed by Randy Flynn, art by Beth Sobel, who also um, has contributed artwork to other wonderful nature-themed games like Wingspan. Mm -hmm. And it is published by Flat Out Games. It has an average complexity rating of 1.83 out of 5 on BoardGameGeek and a playtime of roughly 30 to 45 minutes. And... What's really impressive that we both just noticed on the um, BGG page is that in terms of where this game ranks right now, it is currently ranked number 47 overall on the all-time top 100, number four in family games, and number one in abstract games. So this game has like a really high pedigree and an outstanding reputation, and it's very beloved in this hobby. And it also was on both of our top tens. So, yes, yeah, there's a lot of really good vibes surrounding this game. Well, and it also um, it also won Game of the Year this yes. past year, didn't it? Yes, you're right. So, I I've heard a couple like just listening to other reviewers and podcasts talk about this game. I've heard a couple people not even hate on it, but just kind of say it wasn't for them. Hmm. Um, you know, just in terms of the style of game that it is, but I think it's just, it's such an inoffensive, fun game that falls into that uh, category that we love so much of easy to teach, but rewarding strategy wise and complex in terms of options. Pulls you in a couple different directions, but in a good way. Yeah. And just very briefly in terms of theme, um, as the game kind of gives away. And as we already mentioned, this is a, very nature-themed game. It's honestly maybe the most just like straight-up pure nature-themed game that we've reviewed so far. Because you know, I would even say something. So. Yeah, even someone like Parks has people in it. Everdell has the kind of fantasy aspect. Oceans. Some of the deep deck has some you know fantasy kind of input in it. And then this one just has that very naturalistic look that Parks has, but and like the wingspan has. But it's just purely about nature and animals, habitats and animals. And so basically all you're doing in this game is you are building a, you know, 
temperate Pacific Northwest Cascadia region ecosystem mm-hmm. where you're just trying to balance um, different habitats with the animals that live in them. So with that pretty brief theme overview, I will hand it over to you to give us a little bit of a rules explanation and just understanding how the game mechanics fit into that theme. Yeah. So I don't think this is going to take very long because this is honestly a very straightforward game. And when you open the box, you can kind of tell that right away because Mm -hmm. there really aren't that many components in the box. So basically what you've got is you've got a deck of cards and you've got five different animal types on it. And these are the five different animal types that are going to be populating your ecosystem. And each of them is going to score in a different way. You've got grizzly bears, you've got elk, you've got Chinook salmon, you've got red foxes, and you've got red-tailed hawks. And one of the nice things about this game is there's a lot of variety in how those match up. Now, I mean, there's a, I guess a slight similarity. There's a bit of set collection. There, I mean, it's a, you know, set collection is front and center in this game in a way that's not all that dissimilar from Nita Valir, which we reviewed a few weeks ago uh, in terms of like how the scoring works, but how yes. you're getting there is going to be very different. Yes. Cause that Nita Valir was more of like a straight up just card set collection, like cards of a certain yeah. type and you just pile and pile and pile on it. This right. one's a little bit more, um, there's a little bit more varied and it's a little bit more intricate. One. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, go so, for it. So basically, once you have like selected the cards you're using, there's a, a whole deck of cards with different scoring options for each of these animal types. Yeah, so there's five for each. So basically, yeah. you're just going to choose one of each for each game, which is nice because you can have a different experience every time with a different combination. Exactly. Um, and then e- each player starts with a... a basically a three tile starting starting piece that mm-hmm. contains different habitats and each habitat has between one and three animal icons on it and so you've got you've got landscapes with the animal icons on them and that indicates which animals it's possible to place on a given hex or tile and you've got so each so that gives a basic rundown and then on the tiles themselves each tile has between one and two habitats on it you've got rivers you've got swamp you've got forest technically it's called wetlands ah wetlands sorry yes um but prairie in prairie, prairie is the last one. Not desert. Prairie. People always say it's desert. I'm like, no, there's no desert. It's prairie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just uh, just a, a, a grassland with a little bit of a drought going on. Basically, how it works is you, on every turn, you are going to be selecting one new lands- like ecosystem tile and one animal piece token yeah token yeah that's a better word for it token to add to your tile tableau 
And the way it works is the one of the things that there's a few things that adds tension to this, because this sounds very straightforward in a sense, like what is even compelling about this, but it plays out in a couple of really beautiful ways. One of the ways it plays out is the, the tile, each tile you have four to choose from is paired with one specific animal token. And so you're taking that pair and that restricts where you're able to place different things. And mm-hmm. so you're kind of constantly having to adjust because you're not always going to be getting what you would ideally want to get. In fact, you're you're usually not getting exactly what you would yeah. like to and get. And a key a key thing to mention there is the reason you may not get what you want is also because much like um Azul, these um the animal tokens are coming out of a bag, so they're drawn randomly. And yes. the tiles are being flipped one one at a time, and they're initially in a pile face down the middle of the table. So no right. one really has control over um how those things are paired together. So you just kind of exactly. have to take there's, there's a random what, element to it. Yeah, you just you have to take, take what's, what's available at the time and make the most of it. Um yes. And and when you're doing that, you basically with the animals, obviously you can only place them on the ecosystem tiles where they're allowed to be placed. Right. And as, with as the as ecosystems, you can place them anywhere, but you're tr- for scoring purposes, you're trying yeah, to Yeah, I'm going to get into that. Yeah, like maximize like the adjacency of like making big ecosystems all of the same kind so that's kind of the trade-off um but we before we move on to the next thing one thing i wanted to mention about two things that you brought up the different animals having different scoring and the pairing the way that the animals can only live in certain habitats one thing i like about both of those is that they are very thematic so like you're never gonna see um a salmon that lives on like the snowy mountain, you know, but at the same mm-hmm. time, like with the way the salmon score, regardless of which salmon card you draw, the salmon will always be in like a run, which is thematic. Whereas like the Hawks are always going to be solo. So right. just again, like integrating that theme into the gameplay is one thing that I just think is really top notch in this game. And I think helps make it even more intuitive than it already is because of its simplicity and a little bit less abstract as well. Yeah. 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 And yeah. And we can get, we can get more into like some of the, some of the um, themat- thematic stuff, but I did want to come back to this idea of the, the ecosystem matching because just to give a basic rundown on how scoring works, your, each of the animals has their own like scoring conditions. So for some of them, it's what animals are adjacent to them. For some of them, as Ed mentioned, the fox, it's often like yeah, how spread out they are. Uh, for some of them, it's how well they're clustered in groups or how well they're clustered yeah. in runs. And, and all how... five of them, like it's always intuitive. So like the salmon are always a run. The elk, it's always a herd might be different shapes so it's always just like a big group the yeah. hawks are solo the grizzlies are in small groups because that's how they are in real life and then the foxes are kind of i guess scavenger-esque in that they yeah. just kind of fit in wherever they need to right um and benefit from those adjacency bonuses that you mentioned yeah yeah 
Yeah, so you're getting a good chunk of your scoring from the animals, but then you're also getting, I would say, roughly a third, maybe 40% of your scoring from the landscapes. And the way that works is as you're trying to make sure that you're able to place every animal token you get every turn, you're also trying to line up your landscapes so that they they are interconnected to each other. So you don't want like it just to be a complete hodgepodge of like different landscapes anywhere. You want to have as much as you can, all of your forests clustered together, all of your mountains clustered together, your wetlands, your river, your prairie all clustered together because you'll get a point for every tile that contains a part of that habitat that is connected to your biggest cluster of that ecosystem. And then bonus points to the player who has the most tiles in each. Yeah. So a good example is like at the end of the game, let's say you had a river that had eight river tiles in it. And I had one that had six. You'd get eight points. I would get six. And then in a two player game, you would get two bonus points because yours is bigger than mine. And you do that for each habitat. Right. So, yeah, I think, I mean, depending on the game, sometimes the landscape scoring is just as much of a big deal as the animal scoring. And I think yeah. I'll come back to that later, maybe as a first time tip yeah. for players. But yeah, it's something, it's something that's like very interesting about this game that makes it a little bit more complex than something like um, Azul. Yes. In which case, this, in like where the scoring is just more one dimensional. Yeah. There's yeah. a, th- yeah, I, I would say so. One added feature that we wanted to point out in this game is these things called nature tokens that add a little flexibility into the game. And basically, what these do is if you play certain tiles that have a pine cone icon on them, you get a pine cone token. And The purpose of these is to even out the scoring potential a little bit because you get them when you play a tile that only has one landscape on it. And in an effect, it's a way to like even out your points because someone who's playing a tile that has two different ecosystems on it has more scoring potential on the like habitat side of the scoring equation. Yeah. It also, they tend, in addition to only having one, um, ecosystem type on it they also tend to only have one type of animal that could live on it so it is right. a little bit even more restrictive it's more restrictive that's right and there's a couple different ways you can use these in the game and then you can also save them for the end and they're worth a point each at the end if you choose not to use them the two ways that you can use them on your turn one is that as we mentioned each animal token token is paired with a specific habitat card if you're not liking those pairings that you're either gonna have to draw an animal token that you're not going to be able to use or not put in a spot you want it to or maybe your the landscape card it's or the landscape tile that is paired with would mess up your your uh, ecosystem tableau you can use a one of the um, pinecone tokens to choose separate ones and basically choose unpaired ones for a single turn 
that's one of your options. really it can be really helpful if you're in a tight spot tight spot yeah definitely yeah. um your second option is to use it to just wipe out any number of the four wildlife tokens that are on the four ecosystem cards to give yourself a fresh start in terms of which ones you're picking in that case though if you choose that option you would still have to choose a paired one so it's a bit of a gamble um Mm -hmm. one other way that the game naturally does this a little bit is if you have three of the same animal token on those four spots at any given time you may choose if it's your turn to wipe them out and and refresh it or if they're all four the same i I believe you said it's mandatory you have to yeah Mm-hmm. Usually that's going to end up being the foxes because the foxes yeah. are the worst and no one wants them. Um, yeah. I mean, one thing I'll say yeah. that I like about the nature tokens, um, you know, when we were talking about dwellings of Elder Vale last week, um, one of the criticisms we both had was the randomness. And I yes. think that, you know, in a game like this, where you have a, you know, pulling chips from a bag, like in Quacks or Azul also, there's obviously going to be randomness. And of course in Quacks, that's, essential to the game it's a luck based you know um gambling game but what i like about cascadia is that those nature tokens really give you a strategic way to mitigate that randomness that is really useful and like really satisfying and it's good when you have a few saved up and you know that like worst case scenario you're gonna be able to you know, pay just a little bit to dig yourself out of what could be a really tough situation that could really otherwise mess you up long-term. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, that gives a pretty, you know, thorough overview of, of the game and all its main, main features. Do you want to get into? I was just going to just like to wrap that up just to tie it in. Um, once you combine all of that, what that leaves you with is the scoring, which is super basic. All it is is you count up the points for the animals, which will be um, explained on the cards for each animal. Yep. You count the points for the land, which we've already explained, and then one point for each unused nature token. And that's it. Yep. And I would say just in terms of percentage breakdowns, I'd say your animals and um, landscapes you know, I'd say 40, 50% each, depending on the game. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a little bit somewhere in that range. And then the nature tokens are just going to be very much on the edges. Sometimes you'll have zero. I think the most I've ever seen is like someone having seven, maybe eight left over. But most of the time, honestly, most people are going to have like probably between one and three. Yeah. Yeah. So, and in terms of overall scoring, if you play... Um, if you play well and you know you understand the value of the land scoring in addition to the animals, expect a range that's probably, I would say, from the seventies to just about a hundred. Yeah, that's that's good scoring in Cascadia. If you cross a yeah. hundred, then that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Great. Yeah, but, uh, so, uh, that was a pretty good rule explanation. Um, again, it's really not that complicated. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty straightforward one. Do you want to get into some uh some gameplay tips? Yes. Um so 
one that I already kind of mentioned is for new players really understanding the value of the points that you can get from the land. Don't yeah. discount that because it can be very easy to focus a lot on the animals and the animals are essential. Don't get me wrong, but it's just, they are just as valuable as the land. So don't worry. Don't worry too much about the animals at the expense of the land really strike that balance. And then the other one I would say is in most games, what I end up doing personally is I end up kind of, I mean, you're going to like probably get points for all five animal types. That's unavoidable, even if it's just because you had no choice but to take something um, at some point that you didn't necessarily want. But I try not to focus on all five because you're never going to be able to score highly in all five um what i try to do is like pick and choose so i would say what that ends up looking like is never focus on the foxes because the foxes are by far the lowest scoring by design yeah Um, they're more for filling in gaps yes and so like you'll get a couple but like take them when you need to um, and leave yourself some wiggle room to have them in places that would actually get you, you know, a decent number of points for what they're worth. So that yeah. rules out the foxes. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the elk and the salmon are both basically structured around getting large groups of them that are adjacent. Yeah. So I would say try to maybe pick one of those two to be your main focus. And that will obviously depend on what's available and where you think the game is going. Yeah. And what other people are focusing on. Cause if someone else is already like, you know, going in on the elk, then you may not want to do that because now you're both competing for the same thing. And there are limited number of elk in that bag. Yeah. Both in terms of of the animal tokens and the, and the ecosystem tiles. Yep. Yep. And then, I mean, with the bears and the hawks, you know, just they're, see how it's going. You could probably well, do pretty two decently are similar on too. Those two are similar too in the sense that they're, I mean, the hawks are completely solitary. The bears are usually either solitary or in a pair, usually a small group. That's yeah, like the, the, I think like the biggest one. Other, yeah, I think the biggest one is like a group kind. of four, four bears is the biggest one on one of the cards. But yeah. yeah. And that tends to be the kind of thing where even if you just have one standalone, you'll still get some points for it. Right. Yeah. So I'd say like maybe, you know, you can do pretty decently on both bears and hawks and then maybe pick one of those um, large group animals and then, you know, don't prioritize the fox. So those are my tips. What about you? I think... I mean, you, you, you alluded to one of the main things that I was going to mention, which was just keeping an eye on what other people are going for, just because there are limited quantities. One other tip I would say is be judicious in when you're using your, your pinecone tokens, the nature tokens, because the, the decision space gets more constricted as the game goes along, particularly on the last two to three turns Mm -hmm. where those are the times where you've basically run out of, you know, landscape tiles and you're just dividing up the last couple and you're running low on the animal tokens as well. And so, you know, 
if you get to that last turn and it's something you can't use that that can hurt hurt you quite a bit scoring wise and so yeah i would recommend at least saving one or two of those for your last couple turns so that you have maximum flexibility um for the home stretch yeah and just to that's really important and the use of those nature tokens is really important because by design the way that this game is designed is that no matter how many players you have you'll always have the same number of turns per game yeah they just add, you know, you have more tiles if you're playing with more more players. But basically, it works out to, I think, everyone, I think, gets 21 or 22 turns. Um, Something like that. Yeah. yeah. So if you know that going in, each turn is pretty valuable. Um, yeah. You know, it's not the end of the world if you have a kind of throwaway turn. But if, but, you know, that's a good, like, 5% of your game every turn, which when you look at how these points break down with people who know what they're doing... They tend to be pretty close games. Yeah. So one misplaced tile can really make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, definitely can. All right. So best thing about this game. Yeah. Well, one thing I did want to mention before we get into that is mm-hmm. in April, we we got an announcement that an expansion is going to be coming out. Yes. And so I just wanted to mention briefly the Landmarks expansion that's slated to be released next year, I believe. Oh, no. Sooner. Yeah, it's later this year. That's right. I'm so excited for it. And honestly, if we had known about this when we did our most anticipated episode, I would have definitely put this as one of my two most anticipated expansions. Yeah, because I think it was... I think it was announced a little bit after yeah, it was. We, we we released that. But um, just to give a couple brief remarks on what this expansion is going to do, one thing that it's designed to do is increase the player count potential. Mm-hmm. So original game up to four, I'd say best with two to three maybe. Um, but the expansion is expands that to up to six players and then it also allows you to add natural landmarks onto your habitats for some new end game scoring bonuses that's really cool yeah i mean i haven't looked too much into how that's going to work but in my mind i'm kind of thinking of it as like you know when you play civilization they're the wonders that you build yeah kind of like that um just like, yeah, I guess adding something unique to your ecosystem that no one else has could be really cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's. And then there's also going to be some new um, animal scoring cards and habitat cards in there, too. OK, but using the same five animals, right? As far as I know. OK, I hope that's the case, because I as far like as I wouldn't I want this game to get too bloated you know what i mean yeah and the only way that i would want more animals i think is if you cycle some out so if like you had other animals to choose from but you only ever played a game with five animals at a time kind of like the elements in dwellings of elder bill yeah i think i think that's probably the case and i'm looking at some of the uh pictures that they have on bgg for this and from what i can tell there may be I I think it 
it looks like we've got different landmarks, one for each land type. So we've got a mountain, we've got a tree, we've got a little tuft of grass in a grassland. We've got a little thing of bulrushes and then oh, yeah. a wave. I'm looking at it now. It looks really nice. It kind of looks like um, yeah. some of those um, wooden pieces from parks. Oh, yeah. Which I guess we should have mentioned like the animal tokens in this are also that same kind of um, high quality wood component. Yeah, the components so it's really, are very nice. really nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's definitely something great to look forward to about this game. And it's going to continue to make it have great replay value yeah yeah and so well, it, it says something about how much we we like this game that we couldn't wait to review it until that came out i know because some for some other games we've been like okay we want to review this game but let's wait until the expansion comes out and then we'll talk about it but i think also like for yeah. this game i would imagine that because it's a relatively simple game the expansions are not going to be particularly um you know, game changing. Yeah. Not going to be too intense, so it wouldn't change yeah. that much. Whereas expansions for heavier games um tend to be more, more a little bit more. Ships. Yeah, exactly. So that that's why we're, you know, waiting to review games like Lost Ruins of Arnak or Ark Nova, for example. Yeah, cool. So um best thing about this game? Yeah, do you wanna do you wanna jump jump in with that first since I would just kind of covered some expansion stuff yeah no problem um the only problem is i don't know what to pick because there's so much i love about this game i guess yeah um as i said already and like as we talked about with native Alayer most recently it fits so nicely in that group of games that is accessible easy to learn quick to play but really satisfying um and still like a good brain puzzle so that is awesome and the theme and the artwork and the component quality, likewise, top-notch, right up there with Parks, Wingspan, Everdell, these games that we've praised for similar reasons um, consistently. But I think just like something that I think is specific to this game that I really like is just, it is like, Doing what a, what Azul does with that abstract puzzle um, tile pulling mechanism, but integrating it into an actual thematic experience so it's not yes. fully abstract. And so people who don't like abstract things can really still enjoy this game. And as I mentioned earlier, like the thematic integration with how the animal scoring works um that how the animals behave in ways that are intuitive to what they would do in the real world um is not only cool and like exciting for nature lovers in the same way that you know the wingspan birds behave similarly but it also helps with learning the game and having it click so i i i'm gonna go that way with it what about you um honestly the the main ones that came to mind were for me were ones that you mentioned. So I think I'll go in a little bit of a different direction. One thing that one other thing that comes to mind is I think for me, I am not a big solo game player, Mm -hmm. but I feel like this is one where I would, this is, this is one I would just because it's, You know, 
you have a little bit of player interactions in the sense that like someone might take what you were hoping to get, but I don't know. There's, I, I like the flexibility of this game where it's laid back and relaxing enough that you, I mean, it, if you, you can kind of make it what you want to in the sense that if you want to be, you know, very focused on efficiency and trying to maximize your point potential, you can do that. But you can also just kind of have a relaxing time and see what you build. Yeah. If you would rather go in that direction. And one ways that I think that this game does that in a way that's a little bit more um, possible than with Azul is with Azul, you're keeping track of your score as you go along. There's a scoring track and you're seeing every turn how far ahead or how far behind you are. In this game, you're not tallying up the scores till the end. So it's like the scoring is a little bit more, I wouldn't say an afterthought, but it's less at the forefront of your mind as you're playing. That That is really true. And like as you say it, I'm like, yeah. Like I just think as I'm playing Azul it always ends up being a case where at the end of each round, everybody's asking each other, okay, how many points did you get? How many do you have total? So you're kind of constantly anxious of, yeah. am I behind? Or even if you're ahead, oh, did, have they caught up a little bit this turn? How strong is my lead? Can I maintain this? Whereas yeah. in this one, yeah, like there's no way to know until the end. So the game is kind of, as you said, like pushing you to just be like, you know what? Don't worry about it. Just have a good time and make something beautiful. And making something beautiful will probably translate well into your scoring. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good and one. Then, well, and I think the I think the game also leans in a little bit to this idea of like competing against yourself. Cause the last couple of pages of the rule book, it's just a list of like different achievements where you're like trying to complete different objectives. And it's I mean, it's almost that part of it is almost like a video game. Yes. where you know like the little xbox trying... achievements exactly yeah. so you're like see if you can score 80 points or see it see like how well you can do playing no foxes or no elk or right. you know try to score at least 20 points with with two different types of animals like yeah it, it, it's just kind of like a. I think but i think that flexibility allows you maybe if you're playing a solo mode then it becomes more of an abstract game whereas like if you're playing with other people then it's a more interactive experience and yeah. this game offers a little bit of both something interesting about that point so that kind of achievement sheet the first time i ever saw that was in scythe but yeah. more recently i've seen it in this and then even more recently in earth and yeah. i'm wondering if like there's something really appealing about that to people who like nature themed games. That Maybe you can, yeah, like that pairs well with solo play, that more laid back, non competitive experience. I mean, obviously, like Scythe kind of setting the precedent for it is not exactly uh, <laughs> lending well to that theory, but like just looking at the Although more the recent examples. Although the factory is abandoned in Scythe, so yeah, and like it isn't as, as we've talked about, like it isn't as combat heavy as you'd think, and also like, right. The culture of Stonemaier games itself also tends to be a little bit less aggressive. Yes. Um, yeah, so that's that's an interesting theory. So maybe we can pay attention to looking at um, 
what other new games have that as a feature and if we sense a trend and and there's a part of me that wonders if a feature like that contributes at all to the fact that this is one of the top family games yes and also its appeal as a family game we should just mention briefly it's not really worth a ton but um and i cannot ever see anyone using it unless you're probably playing with very young kids but there is a option to play this game in family mode in mm-hmm. which case you just have all the animals score the exact same way um mm. which is very simplified i don't think it's it would be really that interesting but maybe for younger kids it could be worth trying but yeah that's that's it on that not worth talking about in depth yeah, yeah. i was out of curiosity i was just taking a look at what else is high ranked on the family game list and uh We've honestly covered a fair bit of this already. We've got Wingspan, Everdell, Cascadia, Quacks, and Azul. Wow. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Although, yeah. I mean, we keep saying that we've covered Wingspan, but we still actually have not reviewed it. We just talk. I feel like Wingspan <laughs> yeah, and Scythe, we just it. talk about them all the time. A fair but, bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, do we even need to review it at this point? We will. We oh, will. But we will. We will. We're saving it for some time when it'll be really special. <laughs> um so worst thing about this game this is gonna be tough this is gonna be tough i think you're gonna give mine yeah so you got a sense of go for it how nitpicky i'm being because there's really almost nothing i want to criticize so these are two very small nitpicky things the first thing is the little box insert (laughs) <laughs> that little piece of cardboard where the tiles fit in oh it's yeah. a little bit kind of loose so they don't fit in as nicely as i'd like so i wish the insert was a little bit nicer kind of like the parks insert or something yeah. um and then the other thing is i don't know why and maybe i am ignorant of the natural world in this way but some of the prairie tiles allow the salmon to live on them Yes, and I, I don't understand why fish would live in a prairie, but I'm wondering if they just kind of had to do that because maybe each animal lives in three different um, terrain types and they just kind of had to pick one to have it balanced. But that's it like the only like... little thing that like kind of breaks the thematic um, seamlessness of this game. So that's all I have. That's just to give you a sense of how really nitpicky I have to be to find something to criticize about this game. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. It is. Uh, it's It's just, yeah, it's a, it's a well-tuned machine. It's hard to, it's hard to, hard to come up with things. So I think I would say I like the, I like the thematic resonance in how the different animals score. I mean, you kind of mentioned like the elk and the salmon are in runs and it makes sense. Right. But um, just in terms of gameplay variety, I think it would have been kind of cool if like maybe, maybe each of them had at least one card where their scoring option was a little outside the box and you're doing something a little bit different just because it makes sense thematically, but it also means that you're 
usually trying to do about the same thing with each animal type most yes. games. So, I mean, that that could be something that the expansion solves, or even, as we yeah. said, like maybe they'll introduce other animal types you could cycle in. Um, yeah, I think that's that's fair. But yeah, again, I think we're really <laughs> digging deep yeah, to find just, things to criticize. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a trade off. It's not. Yeah, yeah, it's there's still and and I mean, I'm, I'm a big enough fan of this game that they had some like promo cards that gave a couple more scoring options and I picked those up. And so, yeah, I don't have. I think there's plenty of replay value in this as it is. Right. Cool. So. Do you want to give a recommendation for another game for fans of this game? Well, this shouldn't be too difficult. <laughs> I mean, I I think I'll just I mean, I said it at the top, but the set collection element is similar to Nita Valir, although I feel like Nita Valir is more a gateway to this than vice versa. Well, they they've got I don't know. I think they're pretty wrinkles. much Yeah, I think they're pretty much on par because yeah. Nita Valera's set collection is a little bit more straightforward in that it's just, you know, piling on cards, but the complexity kind of comes in more at the bids. Whereas yes. in this, it's, you know, the land and the animals. Yes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, in that, yeah. So, I mean, the other, the other game that came to mind in terms of the landscape is just in terms of how you're trying to maximize the way your tiles are placed, your ecosystem tiles... Right. That part of the game feels a little bit like Carcassonne to me. I haven't played Carcassonne. But yeah, it's interesting you say that. Because mm-hmm. that is on my list of things I feel like I should play at some point, given its, you know, kind of classic pedigree. Yeah. Um, so the fact that, you know, you think it's a good match with this makes me want to play it a little bit more than I otherwise would. Well, just on the landscape thing, other than that. Right. Um, it's not that similar. Other th- other than that, yeah, not not as similar. Okay. I just looked it up quickly. Um, it's interesting that Nita Valera has a 2.1 complexity, whereas this is a 1.83. I think, honestly, I think the 2.1 is more accurate. I think the 1.83 might be a little bit underselling. A little bit too low. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then out of curiosity, I'm going to look up the game that I'm going to recommend. Okay. So my recommendation is going to be Azul. Um, as we've talked about again, just very basic, you know, tile based bag pulling abstract puzzle game. And, you know, we said Cascadia is number one for abstract games. Azul is number two. So fair to say, if you like one, you like the other, probably. Um, it's interesting because Azul has the 1.76 complexity rating. So I think it does make sense that Azul should be a little bit under, um, Cascadia, but I would personally bump Cascadia up to be closer to Nita Valera. Like maybe put yeah. it at like a, a flat 2.0. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Cool. And One... I, I mean, I don't really feel like I need to talk about Azul too much because we've already reviewed it. So people can listen to that episode if you want to learn more about Azul. Yeah. And if. One last thing I'll plug is if you've already played Azul and you're looking for another game that has this you know this abstract quality but also has a degree of randomness in it sagrada the 
uh, stained glass window game is another good one to look into. Yeah, that's another one I want to check out at some point. Yeah. Cool. So final score. You want to go first? Sure. For me, I, I'm i going to give this one an eight and a half. Very nice. I'm I'm a big fan of this one. Yeah. So I'm going to go with a 9.5. Ooh, wow. Yeah. So funnily enough, I'm actually giving this. Is that the highest you've given? I think this given? is the highest I've given yet. And I'm trying to think in my mind how I justify that because, you know, there are games that we've talked about and reviewed that I had higher up on my top 10, like Wayfarers, yeah. the South Tigris, Everdell, um, yeah. Raiders of the North Sea even. And I think... I can justify that because I think that just because something is higher up in my personal preference doesn't mean that it's a better game. Does that make sense? Like in terms of its design and like overall um, polish. So I think Uh, that Cascadia deserves that 9.5 because as I've kind of mentioned before, it's like, I'm trying to judge these games based on when I give a score out of 10, I'm trying to judge it based on, how well it executes the task it set out to do. Whereas the top 10 is more your subjective enjoyment. Yes. There's a little bit more like of an emotional um, element to my top 10. Yeah. Yeah. And as we just kind of covered with Cascadia, it's really hard to find things to nitpick or criticize about this game. Um, You know, obviously other people can disagree, but I can't think of anything that I would really change other than the things I mentioned, which are really cosmetic. Whereas something like Wayfarers of the South Tigris, I was very clearly able to pinpoint, you know, the iconography is an issue. Um, or with yeah. Eldervale, like the randomness is an issue. So yeah, I'm going to go with a 9.5. So high praise for Cascadia. And I think that might bode well for where it might end up next time we do a top 10 game. We'll see. Yeah. Because I think last time it was my number 10, it just made it in to the top 10. So maybe it'll stay there or maybe even move up a couple spots. We'll see. But I think even thinking back to the last time I did the top 10, part of the reason I made sure it got a spot was because even though it's not the most complex game or the most exciting game, um, it just really deserves high praise for the quality of the execution. Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely does. And I'm, I feel like we've mentioned a lot of comparison games here. This isn't really a comparison, but I just wanted to say Randy Flynn has his new game to breeze where you're playing like a, like carpet maker in a bazaar. Yes. That was on your most anticipated list, right? It, it was on the most anticipated list, and I am still hoping to check that one out. Yeah, I would I, be very interested and excited to play that because I can only imagine that, you know, the follow-up to Cascadia really should be something special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think it, there's some dice rolling uh, from what I understand, and I think more of an economic game, so you know, showing his versatility as a game maker. But uh, yeah, 
similar playtime, 30 to 60 minutes. So yeah, great. Really curious. Yeah, and just one last thing I'll I'll just briefly say. I mean, I don't think either of us have played this game, but another game that people might want to check out is Calico because yeah. it kind of is like in an unofficial series of games that Cascadia is a part of that AEG and Flatout Games are publishing that are these beautiful abstract puzzle kinds of games that with a kind of nature cozy kind of theme to it so they did calico which is again tile laying but kind of you're making a quilt there's a cute cat on the box and there's cascadia and then they did one called verdant that's about you know house plants so again like if you're into this theme and this kind of peaceful um medium weight abstract puzzle game calico and then maybe even yeah verdant in nature yeah those could all be good options to check out awesome and maybe we will get to trying them and playing them as well. And maybe if we do, um, we could do some kind of like discussion episode where we compare the three. That could be interesting. Yeah. yeah. A cozy game off. Yes. Awesome. Okay. So on that note, that wraps up Cascadia. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Bye. Bye.